0: You're listening to a podcast in New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Proverbs chapter 6. We are going to be in verses 6 through 11. And if you're in the room here today or at home, let's stand together as we read God's word. Verse 6, Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Father, we give you this time. We, we are so grateful for already how you've met us, how you've spoken to us through your word, through song. Pray now that you would change us, speak to us. Oh, Lord, that we would sense your presence in such a powerful way as we talk and, and learn from you. Use this time to bring life Where there is death, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring faith where there is desolation. We need you, God, and we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. You know, one of the challenges during this time is we've, everything has been just rearranged and reordered and rethought, reimagined. Uh, We have all, in some way, well, I don't know if all of us, but a lot of us have had to move into online meetings, right? So even with our small groups here at church, we've done online small groups, which I think before this, a lot of us would have said, no way, like there's no way that can work. And we've seen it works. It may be not as great as being face-to-face, but it has served a purpose. And then for people who are working from home and needing to just be on meeting after meeting on Zoom or you know whatever the platform is, it has been one of those challenges. And and then like a whole new set of etiquette and rules have kind of emerged with what you should or should not do when you're on an online call, an online meeting. And we've all, I mean I've been guilty of it. You break the rules, you know, you turn your camera off so that you can like eat or do something else while you're listening. You're trying to multitask, right? This is like the whole element of I can do more now as long as they don't see me doing more, or we try to hide it even if the camera's on. Well, this actually got... um, Funny stories have emerged from different people who have messed up, and one guy really messed up in his effort to multitask, and actually this happened in another country. It was in Spain, and it was a local government official. They were on, you know, a bunch of government officials were on a call, a video call, to talk about the impact of COVID-19, and they invited residents from the community and journalists to, to they live, they live streamed the call, and of course the meeting was going long and long and long, and this one guy, one of the officials, he's just like, he had stuff that was coming up and he needed to do so. He starts his, you know, he minimizes his, his screen, um, thinking he turns his camera off and, yeah, and ends up starting to get ready for his next events. And so he, t- he starts taking a shower. And he brings the computer into the bathroom with him while he's taking a shower. And in everybody's lower right-hand corner of their screen, they are hearing and seeing. Now, I will say he had a—I didn't watch the video at all, but they said it was a frosted glass window, you know, shower door so that, you know, you couldn't see all that you didn't want to see, but this is what's, and (laughs) they're trying to get his attention while he's showering, and his friends are, like, speaking to him, like, and it's so loud because of the water. He can't hear. People are calling him, and eventually the mayor of the city shuts the meeting down because this was such a distraction, and so this poor guy, you know, did what all of us do, but he didn't turn the camera off. He messed up, you know, offered to resign and all that. I don't think he had to, but it's just... It's the, the days that we're living in, and we are talking about wisdom, wisdom, something we all need so desperately, and it's there for us, but so often it's just, it's, it's just out of reach. We're, we don't tap into it. We're not paying attention to the, what is wise, what is unwise, and today we're going to really talk about how wisdom intersects work how it intersects work, how we work, how we view work, what we do when we work. And I know that even as I talk about work, it's a sensitive subject right now because COVID-19 has impacted a lot of us in terms of our jobs and our work and how we work. Some have been furloughed. Some have been let go It's impacted so many. Financial needs are high. Or maybe you are someone who has retired from work and you're, you're trying to figure out what work looks like for you at this stage in life. And I, I think as sensitive as it is, It is really important for us to think about this and talk about it. And today's message is going to be very helpful for all of us because it it connects more with how we think about work than what we do for a living. It's not just about our vocational job. It is about who we are and how we've been created. It's a mindset, how we view life and the things that we give our time to. See, we were built, we were created for work, to work to be productive. The Bible uses the term fruitful. And so we all have to wrestle with this. How does does this impact my life? Because look, one of the most important things that we can think about is our work, what we put our hand to, what we give our time to. The average person spends 90,000 hours at work, like vocational work. 90,000 hours. It's like 13 years of your life spent working. It's important. A lot of our energy in our life is spent thinking about, worrying about work. And it's been shown in different studies that most people don't like their jobs. Most people are disengaged from their jobs there was one stat I saw statistically that said like 80% of, of workers would trust a stranger more than they would trust their boss. It's not good. Work is a gift. Work is something that God has given to us to, to use for his glory, for, to, to, to reflect who he is. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But this impacts so much of life for workers, for bosses, for people who are in between jobs, for parents, for coaches, homemakers. And wisdom is there for us and is tightly connected to how we view work, how we think of work, how we do work. See, and in, in, in the noise of life, and, that, and that's this series, we're, we're calling it Through the Noise, because just like Megan was talking about earlier. There's so many opinions, so much coming at us, so much noise, and part of that noise is this, especially as workers, part of that noise is we're pulled in different directions. One of those big directions is that everything in the marketing world is there to sell us on a better way of life, and usually it's to do less so that you can get more. It's to work less so you can have more. Don't put effort in, and you can have everything you want. You see it in the fitness world all the time. It's like all these programs and diets. It's like, you don't have to do anything and you'll lose 20 pounds and have a six pack and be mighty. You're like, it's a lie, man. It doesn't work that way. But that's, that's what we're told and sold. Get what you want with the least amount of work. And then on the other side, we are constantly being bombarded with other people's successes and other people's life that 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 are held up as models and we and we're trying to keep up we're trying to to surpass them we're trying to make it, it makes us feel like we constantly have to work to keep up with everyone else and that's one of the the big challenges with social media is everyone's life looks perfect and rosy and we're constantly looking at that going, man my family doesn't look like that at dinner or if I just could do a little bit more at work. I can afford for us to, to live like this or do that. And we're, we're constantly in this mindset of do more, do more, work harder, work harder. And both, both of these directions that are pulling at us are killing us. Because one leads to this laziness, this workless attitude that is completely ungodly. And then the other one leads to a workaholic existence where we are just working and working and working to find our value, identity, purpose, our salvation. And it is just as ungodly. The endless pursuit of money and comfort and happiness. And so what we need is a godly framework for our work. We need wisdom to work through the noise. And Proverbs helps us with this does. The whole Bible helps us with this because it helps us find wisdom for how we work and to find this seriousness that needs to, 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 for our mindset to be when we think about work, to put our effort into work with everything that's in us to where we work hard and we are diligent. But there's also a place where we find rest in our work, where we rest in our life and we find that there is, it is okay to to rest from time to time and take vacations. And so Proverbs 6 helps us. See, the the structure of Proverbs, I've talked about this, right, is we're given the wise and the fool, the wise and the foolish. And sometimes it's just used as those words, the wise and the fool. But other times there are these um, different pictures that are given to us to help fit a certain situation, different variations of the wise and the fool, depending on the situation. And when we talk about work, we get the image that I just read from Proverbs 6, which are two animals. You have the ant and the sluggard. The ant and the slug. Very strange animals to use for this example, but it is, it is super helpful for us. And the ant represents the wise, and the sluggard represents the fool. And so what do we learn from them? This, this, is, the, this is where Proverbs gets so practical and so helpful for us, so that we can see work in a way that God sees it and wants us to think about it and to live in it. I need it. I think you do as well because of those 90,000 hours that I'm going to spend (laughs) or more. That is a lot of time that God has given for us to use for good or for evil, for wise or for fools. And so we can look at this just to, And we're going to jump around a little bit in the scriptures and use some other passages to help fill out the picture. But I want you to think while I'm talking about these two animals, the slug and the, and the, and the ant, and think through where you fall in. And I'm going to just say this. We find ourselves in both often. So let's look at the slug, the sluggard for a minute. The sluggard is what you don't want to be, (laughs) at least as far as it's given to us here in this passage. The sluggard is just, when you think of a slug, all of that is what, I mean, we don't do, I was trying to think if I've, we do have slugs here, don't we? I, I, I grew up in New York, like as a kid, and I remember slugs a lot in New York. And I remember like, you poured salt on them. Things happened to them. It was, wasn't the kindest thing, I guess, to do to a slug. But that was how you took care of them. You poured salt on, and, and but slugs are animals that are—they're gross, and they're slow, and they're lazy. And as far as it's concerned, in the scriptures, the sluggard is hesitant. The sluggard can't make up his mind. The sluggard. Ray Ortland says, the sluggard's motto is, don't rush me. That, that one hit home to some in here, I think. Don't rush me. Ray Ortland goes on to say this, says, the sluggard is constantly making the soft choice, losing one app- opportunity after another, after another, after another, day by day, moment by moment, until he lies there, helpless in his wasted life. That's the sluggard. Proverbs 26:14 says, "As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Love. <laughs> Love that image. The sluggard reappears all throughout the book of Proverbs. And so you're starting to get the image of what the sluggard is, and I just want to give us like three kind of categories for. Something that, the way the sluggard is described in scripture, especially in Proverbs, three things. One, the sluggard won't move, okay? The sluggard won't move. Even that I, image of the slug like slowly trudging along, it's just this idea, the sluggard won't move um, st- They're slow, they're slimy, they're going nowhere. I mean, that's the image that we get when we think of the sluggard. It's not just that the sluggard won't move his body. The sluggard won't make up his mind. The sluggard won't make up his mind. Look in verse 9 of our passage in in chapter 6. He says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? It's this image like, hey, get up. It's noon. <laughs> Some parents of teenagers are going, I knew it. <laughs> They're slugs. Not necessarily. It's bigger than just, it, it's the image we get, right? That, that <clears throat> the decision to get up out of bed is too much of a definite decision for the sluggard to make. It's too hard. The sluggard has no answer. How long are you going to lie there? I don't know. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. Just a little bit more. Just going to hit snooze one more time. One more time. See, and there's no good reason why the, the sluggard won't get up. It's just a lot of little compromises. There are excuses. There's the sluggard is going to convince himself that it's, all for the good, that it's all for good reason why I'm going to lay here. Why should I wake up now? I'll do what I need to do later. Just give me a little bit more time. I had a late night last night helping my friend level up in Call of Duty. I was... Had a big meal last night. Don't rush me. The sluggard won't move. The sluggard also won't finish. The sluggard won't finish things. Another word for that is quitter. The sluggard is a quitter. He'll he'll get going, but it's, it's too much to keep going. I love this Passage from Proverbs 26, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Isn't that a powerful image? I mean, it is a, it, it's an, I mean, this is, this is Proverbs right here. It is this great overstatement of like, no one ever does this. You put your hand in the dish and it's just like, it's just too much. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. It, it's wearing me out. But that—that's—that's that's the picture we get of the sluggard. That's the overstatement that we get. But it's so relatable. There, there's no depth. There's no fortitude in the sluggard. It's just like molasses. No backbone. No decision making. They can get started. You might be able to get them going. But as soon as it gets hard, it's like I'm out. I'm done, I just can't do it, it's too hard. Starting is important, but finishing is crucial. That's part of the, the, the journey for us as, as workers, as, as God-given, fruitful image bearers. The slugger, though, won't finish. And the third thing that the sluggard won't do is the sluggard won't face reality. And it all kind of wraps up into this. The sluggard won't face reality. He he can't face things as they are. He he wants the wrong things and therefore is constantly dreaming up excuses to justify why he wants those things. The sluggard says, This is Proverbs 22, the sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. There's no lion in the streets. What's in the street? Reality, life, job, mission, fruitfulness. See, this is what our hearts do. We, we want something and we, we, we want it so badly, we, we, we start to bend reality to see what we want, to get what we want. We create ways to justify what we want. What does the sluggard want? The sluggard wants to stay home. The sluggard wants to stay in bed. But there's no good reason to stay in bed. There's no good reason to stay home. And so what does he say? He says, I can't go out. There's a lion out there. It's going to kill me. There's no lion. It's in his head. But he's creating a justification Unreal circumstances to justify the desire, to justify a lifestyle. It is self-deception. And look, this is more than just a work issue, okay? This is at the heart of all of our problems. This is the heart of, of, of me, of us, when we are... We, we want what we want, and so we will figure a way to get that into our life, and we will try to make the dumbest excuses, the, the, the dumbest bending of reality to make it happen. I can't tell you how many times I have talked to couples or one of the couple, the spouse, who wants to divorce the other one. And the excuses that I get, the the rationale, the bending of reality to get what they want and creating a situation, a scenario that is not true and clearly going against what God wants just so that they can get this other thing that they want. Or in relational conflict, in work related issues, in parenting. We want what we want. The heart wants it and will do just about anything at times to get it. The sluggard thinks he's smart, wise. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You see just the description over and over and over again of who this is and what we have to be careful of because the sluggard's in all of us. He is. But that's what Proverbs is so helpful What in your life, in what ways are you seeing the sluggard come to life? See, the sooner we can identify that, the sooner we can start to go to God with those things. for Help for clarity, for, for solution, because the solution is here in, in Proverbs to some extent, but it's not the ultimate solution for us because what, what's the solution in, in, in the scripture here? It's go to the ant. Because if we don't, what does it say? It says it, all of this, the ways of the sluggard will add up to disaster, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And what does it say? And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. The New Testament says it this way, if a man's not willing to work, then he should not eat. God is clear about the importance of work, the importance of being fruitful with the gifts that he's given us, with our hands, and our minds, and our hearts, And if we don't, we should not expect to prosper in this life. And so the sluggard is a warning to us. And he says, Look, if you're a sluggard, here's what you need to do, oh sluggard. Go to the ant. There's the solution. Go to the ant. And you're like, if you're a sluggard, the last place you want to do is go to an ant. Because sluggards are wise in their own eyes. Sluggards think they're the smartest person in the room. Sluggards are like, I can make, there's a lion out there. I, I, I can make anything a reality if I want it to be. And so they're so self-deceived to say, I want you to go to the ant and take some notes. They don't want to do that. The sluggard likes to argue. The sluggard likes to debate. The sluggard likes to roll over in bed and think about all the things that he wants to do. The sluggard thinks he's the smartest person in the room, and that is the typical characteristic of the fool, to always think you're the smartest person in the room. There's, a, there's an old proverb, not a Christian proverb, that says if, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Wisdom is saying, go watch the ant. And so what can we learn from the ant? Real quick, I want to give you just some characteristics of the ant to help us see what what the other side looks like. See, the ant is a self-starter. The ant is a self-starter. There's this inner motivation, right? Without having any chief officer or ruler, that's verse 7 of our passage, without having any, there's no one standing above them. There's no parent above them going, they wake up, sleepy. Get out of bed. No, there's no, there's no taskmaster over the ant. The ant just gets it done. The ant goes. Doesn't need someone standing over her, telling her what to do. The ant gets going and gets it done. Where the slug won't move, the ant doesn't stop moving in order to progress, in order to better their life. The ant is a self-starter. The ant is also a hard worker. Hard worker. Look, uh, verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Ants love to work. They don't see it as drudgery. They don't see it as obligation. It is part of who they are. They don't make excuses. They're not indecisive. And even what it says, in the summer, the hot summer, the blazing heat, they are out getting it done. We know this, right? You go to a picnic, summertime especially, you put food down on the ground, you do anything. All of a sudden, man, those ants are coming. Even as you like stomp them out, man, they just, they're like, oh, there goes Bob. All right, let's go. I see a grain of, I see a Frito. We got to get it. They just keep coming. They keep working. They don't care. They don't complain. They don't stand around, one sugar grain at a time, they'll carry it away to do what they got to do. The ant's a hard worker. The ant's also a future planner. It's a self-starter, a hard worker, and a future planner. Look, she says she gathers her food in harvest. The ant works today for tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's a farming image, right? Harvest is when the food grows, and you go get it. It shows that there are, it shows that there are times in life when the food isn't going to grow. There's other seasons when it may not be as plentiful. We call that winter. Winter is coming. Not a Game of Thrones reference. Winter is coming in our lives. There is always that season where it will not be as plentiful, as harvestful as it is right now. In many ways, we are experiencing right now a winter time. And something's being revealed in our lives as to whether we have been more slug like or ant like in the days leading up to this, or what we do even now during this time. We're in quarantine, things change every day. Are we just lying in bed more and more saying like, okay, I'm just, when it's over, I'll get to work. Or are we looking for opportunities during this time to say, man, God has given me breath and life and I am going to thrive through this. I'm going to try to to move forward, to progress, to keep going, to see the opportunities that God has put out for me. For many people, summertime, harvest time is is literally a time of preparation because winter could be life and death. I love, uh, I've often watched shows, you know, where they have like these rural communities out in Alaska, like the fringes of Alaska, like Alaska's fringe. And then you have like the fringe of the fringe and their their winters are like six months long and it gets down to like negative 50 degrees. And there's like 67 days of darkness. You don't go outside and, you know, go to Burger King and grab your food. Like you collected it during the harvest time, during the summer, they would go out and they're chopping wood and they're hunting and they're doing all this stuff because if they don't do that in winter, they will die. And it's time to harvest the ant works and plans for the future. She doesn't just hope things are going to be okay. She gets out ahead of the next season. And this isn't just about physical needs. Guys, it's not just about saving for retirement. It's so much bigger than that. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's uh, in times when I'm healthy, emotionally healthy, am I building and investing into the things that, that are going to make me strong when maybe it won't be so clear, when it won't be so great? Am I investing in my spiritual life by reading scripture, by praying, by being in church, but so many times when when life's a blessing, we just start to take for granted all the good stuff. That's harvest time, man. That's the time when we're supposed to be like engaging more. When when life's a blessing, we should be praying more. We should be going to church more. We should be engaging with the Lord more because we're so thankful for the greatness and the goodness of our God, and so. But unfortunately, we reverse it. It's like, man, the world starts collapsing down, and we're like, I need church, which you do, which we do. But God, help us to find out those moments of harvest where we are investing in, we are, we are building. It's, it's just like our physical life. And if we would eat healthy food we would take care of ourselves and exercise and do the things that are going to to build this physical body up. When times of winter come, we're prepared, more prepared, we're ready. It carries over into all these areas of life, building foundations Now, building character now so that we'll be ready for the winter season because the winter season will come. It's not a matter of if, it is when. God is there with us through it all. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we just finish through thinking through just some practical things that we can do for this because, look, we've said this. Proverbs is about principles, principles, more than promises, more than prescriptions. It's about principles, right? So we see this about the sluggard and the hand in the bowl, and like, I can't even, that, it's, it's giving us an image. It's helping us to see there are consequences when we take for granted the things that God has given to us. But here's the deal, right? We're humans, we're not ants, We're not supposed to be living like ants. There is an image there. There are principles for us, but we don't really go to the ant and study ant life and go, man, how could I be more like them? No, no, that's not the point. Same with the slug. Look, there's slug in all of us. I said it already. For some of us, there's a lot of sluggard in us. And that's probably what we're more prone to fall into. We're more prone to drift into laziness, into apathy, into inactivity, indecisiveness. And we need to be careful because we don't want poverty falling on us like a robber. But some of us are a little bit too much ant. We're, we get locked up in the bondage of work and of success and achieving, and we, we, we get so caught up in being ant-like that we fall into the other side of this problem, and it is, a, it is a problem. We become so self-absorbed that all we care about is building that colony, building that kingdom, building that bank account, building that, that resume, that success. And so this is a constant fight for us to not fall into the laziness of the sluggard or the overactivity workaholism of the ant, and we need Christ to come speak into both of those situations so that we would find wholeness in a healthy work life and a healthy rest life. Because look, it, it's okay to sleep in sometimes. I can't seem to do it anymore, but intellectually I know it's a great thing. I. Body doesn't work that way anymore. But sleep in if you can from time to time. So look, it's a constant fight for us. And so here's here are three things I want us to remember as we engage in this fight. Okay? This will help us. We're gonna remember our purpose. We're gonna rest in his power and we're gonna run for the prize. Purpose, power, prize. Remember (laughs) I know, this is just alliteration everywhere, but thanks for Bearing with me with these week to week. Remember your purpose, rest in his power, run for the prize. What do I mean by that? Look, this is gonna help you in everything. This first one, if you can remember your purpose, it will, it will change everything about the way you view work, the way you put your hand to work, the way you treat others who work for you, the way you treat your boss who is over you, the way you see organizations and work in general. And here's your purpose. To glorify God in everything you do. Your purpose is you work for him more than you work for anybody else, more than you work for anything else. You work to glorify God. Paul said it in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily. For who? For the Lord, not for men. <laughs> Look, work for him. If that's your purpose, then everything you do is going to be shaped by that, and it's going to change your life. You work to show his greatness. You work to advance his purpose, to to flourish humanity. That's why God has given you breath and hands and feet to to put work. And and, And look, it doesn't change if you're retired. You still have purpose and life in you to work for him and give him everything that's in you. If you're out of a job, Whatever breath you have, whatever energy you have, you work for him. It may not bring a paycheck in the moment, but it, it's it's not for the paycheck. Your purpose is for him. And, and we can, we want to pray for those who are out of work to, to get work, and I am not saying, and I don't want to be insensitive in that, that it doesn't matter. No, it, it's a big deal, and we know that this is a problem right now. But let's just get into a mindset of our overall purpose behind work is not just to build more money, to build more success, to build more retirement. It's not it. Work heartily for the Lord. This will change how you approach school and chores and relationships and parenting and marriage. It impacts absolutely everything. All of that is work, and all of that is covered under this purpose. I work for him. So remember your purpose. Rest in his power. Paul said this way: for for, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. That he powerfully works within me. Look, if he's your purpose, he's your your power too. And you can rest in that, man. You rest in that and just know, God, you are strengthening me to do this job for you. That will help you rest when it's time to rest and it'll help you go hard at work when it's time to work. Because it's for him and he's the one. Empowering you when you when when there are those moments you're like I just don't have the energy I can't do it anymore I can't handle this no God's gonna go hey remember it's, it's you and me man it's you and me child daughter son I give you power I give you strength you can do this because you're working for me not for your boss rest in Him. Rest in who he says you are. Rest in the identity he gives you, the purpose he gives you, the value that he gives you. Because if you don't, it will enslave you. It will bring you to your knees because if we work a lot just to become successful, we're gonna pat ourselves on the back. We're gonna become conceited. And then if we work that hard and we aren't successful, we will become depressed and we will be isolated and we will feel like a failure. And it all is a prison where God is saying, I want you to find freedom, and hope in me. And finally, run for the prize. I love this passage that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Now look, this this is great image for us. I think as we are given breath and life, we are to work hard and we are to give everything that we have toward the task that's in front of us. But if we are not if our purpose is off, if we don't understand that 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 his power is strengthening us, then the prize is gonna be off. But when we see the prize as it is, the prize is Christ. The ultimate aim for our work is to reflect him, to glorify him, to to gain more of him, not our salvation, but to gain this identity with him. Look, our God is a working God. He created the earth and the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rests in salvation. Christ comes and he works, for us. He did the work of living perfect obedience to God's law and of dying for our sin on the cross. So he's the prize. He's why we work. He is our purpose. And so we run for him. We run to him. We run through him. And that frees us. It frees us from a life of striving to be more, to get more, to take more, and gives us the gift of work to reflect him more, to show him more to the world around us. Work is a gift, and we work as an expression of worship to him. See that, embrace that, and see a God who is constantly working for you, constantly chasing after you, after me. When we are running, when we are sleeping in our bed and we're like, no, 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 I I don't want to face reality. I'm making excuses, there's lions in the streets and God is running after us, running after us, running after us, saying, I love you. I'm always working for you. Would you find your hope and strength and rest in me? That's the invitation. It's not go and get a better job, go find the thing that you love to do, that's great. Do that if you want to, but let that foundation be the beginning point where God is saying, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. And then he gives us a purpose for which we would work. It's good news. Let this change the way that we see all of it and imagine a world where we have this, this, this paradigm, this vision of work so that we would love one another better. We would love God better. We would work to see His world come to know Him in ways that we can only dream of. That's what He's doing. Let's pray. God, we will build our life on your love. We will build our life on this foundation of your word, of who you are. And we will work with all the strength you give us. We don't want to be just better ants. We want to follow Christ. We don't just want to avoid being a slug, we want to run to the prize of Christ. Help us, God, to see work differently, to think of work differently, whether we are uh, about to enter the workforce, in the workforce, in between jobs, retired, student, parent, homemaker, all of it, God, help us to see work as a gift and and an opportunity to worship you and reflect who you are in such great ways. And now, God, as we, as we, think on these things, Lord. Would you shift our mind? Would you change our heart? And for those that don't know you, God, would they run to you first to to have the relationship, the wholeness that comes with, with relationship with our God and our Creator so that they might live for a greater purpose than they've ever lived for in the past? We love you, God. We need you in Jesus' name.